thank you so much. I'm so glad I came. It would have been embarrassing if I didn't, but I'm so glad I'm here, yeah. And thank you for joining us. The, the second Sunday of Advent, peace. My question is, do we believe that? How far are we willing to believe that? By peace, we sometimes just think, well, it means the absence of war, that we are living without conflict. And yes, that's, that's part of it, but let's go a little deeper. The biblical words for peace primarily come down to the Hebrew word shalom, and in the New Testament, the Greek word erene. And by peace... It certainly does have this sense of justice that people are living together and they are not at war with each other, that people have the resources that they need to live in dignity and to live lives in safety, and that's part of the biblical meaning of both shalom and erene. But it's more. It's a little bit bigger than that because it goes back to the intentions of God. And one of the phrases that you may have heard or, or, or you might hear as you look at these words is the flourishing life, the flourishing wholeness of God's intentions for all of creation. What God intended as we go back and we read the creation account, that's what the prophets are talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's not just having enough. It's more than that. And shalom and irene can also be translated as balance. Try that sometimes as you're reading through the biblical text and you come across one of those words, grace. Try balance or wholeness or fullness and see if it opens up some possibilities for you. But shalom and irene are more than that because it's about restoring the broken relationship with our Creator God. As the starting point of finding the wholeness in life, or the balance in life, or the fullness in life, or what it means to live without conflict with those around us, or even what it means to be sure that those around us live in safety and have what they need to have dignity in life. Someone said that Shalom and Irene in some way captures what you are missing in your life and the goodness that you wish for others. Which is why in some cultures, instead of saying hello or goodbye, they use some form of peace, and sometimes we do it as well as we're writing notes or letters or even signing off on an email. What's the word that's going to capture what I really want for you? that kind of wholeness or fullness or what God has intended or what God has dreamed or whatever it is that you are missing in life, peace, shalom, erene, God's purposes and advent. God becoming flesh, living with us and as us, And for us, do we believe that's really possible? 
Sometimes we talk about it. I remember one moment in my life, not too long, long ago, 2014, I remember this moment because I had a hard time getting past it. I had a hard time capturing it. I had a hard time processing it. I was with one of our church members, Ron Ledbetter. We were in Beirut, Lebanon. I shared this story with you when I came back, and here's a photograph. And it's a little dark, but Ron and I are on the stage, and we're just north of Beirut, Lebanon, working with one of our missionaries, Maha and Shawi Bulis, at the Jesus Celebration. And it's a church that's out of business. It's a church building that's now just rented out for space. And, and Ron, as I remember, there are eight or 900 adults in the room that particular night. And what is so interesting, on the front row, that it, that most of that front row is about to come up on stage because your missionary has been working and building relationships and sharing the gospel and making a difference in a place that seems so far to us but is home for them. And in just a moment, what I wish I had the photograph for you is that those individuals are going to come up on stage and there will be a Sunni Muslim sheik standing next to a Shia Muslim sheik standing next to a Druze, a Druze sheik, standing next to a Catholic priest, standing next to a Baptist minister, and on the other end of it, a Baptist missionary, and we're holding hands as one of your church members, Ron, and believe it or not, a retired attorney, cue all the attorney jokes, yeah, uh, leads in a prayer for peace. And as moving as that moment was, as unbelievable as that moment was, and I remember one of my thoughts was, why aren't the television cameras here? Can you imagine that event happening in our country? Can you imagine? What a variety. The, the, the response was the audience, which had some Christians in it, and a lot of Muslims, and some Druze, and a lot of folks who have no identity. The, incre the incredible thing was their immediate response of standing to their feet in applause and hope and longing. And for just a moment, I, I remember thinking in just a moment, is it possible? Could we really have peace? in places we've never thought we could have it. Have we just not believed it enough? Have we just not lived into it enough? Have we just not been desperate enough for it? Desperately hoping that their prayers will be answered. I think that's one way of expressing the attitude of the people that are captured by our biblical text this morning, and we have been using those Advent texts, and in particular the ones that are found in the Old Testament prophets, and today it's Isaiah chapter 40, desperately hoping that their prayers will be answered. And before we read that biblical text, it's a good time to just pause and say, for what are you praying this morning? For what are you desperately hoping and longing for? Maybe even afraid to voice it to anyone else around you, but it really is there. 
As I said, our Advent text today is from Isaiah chapter 40, and there's this incredible, incredibly long pause between chapter 39 and chapter 40. Some scholars say 160 years go by of war and exile and hopes and cries and tears and questions and waiting and longing. In Isaiah chapter 40, we hear God's response to the prayers of the people. After this God-muted time, these words, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak to Jerusalem's heart and proclaim to it that its tour of duty is fulfilled, that its penalty has been paid, that it is received from the Lord's hand double for all its sins. Oh, if you've hung around churches, you've heard this passage before. It is sweet music to our ears. Comfort, comfort my people. Have compassion on them. Feel sorrow for them. Be moved with pity on behalf of them. But to whom are these words directed? The verb is actually plural. Y'all comfort them. It's not just the prophet. It's not just one person. We have to ask, it's not just that we get to receive these words. To whom are they directed? And now what do I do with this? And, and don't you just love the personal pronouns when God starts speaking? My people and your God inviting us to be a part and reminding us yeah, God knows when enough is enough. Imagine an army unit that has worked and labored for so hard and now finally gets the needed rest, finally gets to go home. Comfort them. Comfort my people. I have heard their cries. I do know what's going on. I know they have been longing, and I have been waiting for this moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul picks up on this idea of comfort, maybe even this particular passage. All praise to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they're troubled, we're able to give to them the same comfort that God gave to us. This kind of transformative solidarity. And so now during this Advent season, it's not that I get to cry out to God for my, what I long for, what I hope for, what I think will happen, what I long to see God do. Yes, that's part of Advent and part, I hope, of your worship experience. But, but now I lean into the plurality of this text. Y'all comfort my people. Now it isn't that I just can sit back and listen and enjoy what's happening and, and even in the middle of the pandemic start counting my blessings. And, and now in the middle of the day, I, I get the chance to stop and go, wait a minute, how, how can I take what I have learned and experienced and bring comfort to this person just as God has comforted me? 
How can I now be involved in this community's life and help to transform them and be a part of what God is doing? Now God intends to return. That's what Isaiah is saying. And with that comes a transformation of life. A voice is crying out, clear the Lord's way in the desert. Make a level highway in the wilderness for our God. Every valley will be raised up and every mountain and hill will sink. Uneven ground will become level and rough terrain will become a plain. The Lord's glory will appear and all humanity will see it together. The Lord's mouth has commanded it. And every one of the gospel writers include this image. Every one of them. As they are introducing to us the story of the life of Jesus, as they are introducing us the story of the ministry of Jesus, they include this passage as they describe that incredible character, John the Baptist, coming out of the wilderness and rough edges and eating bugs and standing there. And you remember his message. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. You've been waiting for it. You've been longing for it. You've been crying for it. You've been praying for it. Well, it is about to come. Repent. Get ready. Turn around. Stop doing it God's way. And it's interesting, his message has so many components to it. On the one hand, now their relationship and how they're getting ready with God, but it also includes what's that going to mean about how they live in the community where they are, as peace often does. So he'll say to the religious people, ouch, to those Pharisees, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to come from the coming wrath? It's time for you to show the fruit of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And he'll say to the crowd, if you have two coats, then you need to share it with someone else who doesn't have one. And he'll say to the tax collectors, you want to get ready for what's coming? Then you need to stop taking too much from the people who don't have it. You need to do it the right way. And he'll even say to the soldiers, stop extorting people from money. You need to get ready for what God is doing because there's this highway that's coming. It is an incredible image in Scripture how often the highway is used, how often the main road is used and what it will mean in their life and how it will connect them. David's power and prominence coming as he conquers cities to the north and the south and suddenly that highway that connects them to various cultures and the prosperity that will come their way. Are Mary and Joseph fleeing on the highway to Egypt as immigrants now because their life is in danger? Or Paul, who is on the road to Damascus and suddenly finds out what he thought he was doing the right way. Righteous indignation is not what God had for him at all. Or Jesus, who will weave together the story of the road that goes from Jericho to Jerusalem. An unsafe road. And an opportunity for us to mean what it really means to be righteous and to do the right thing. Or in Acts chapter 8... Philip going from Samaria, Samaria down to the Gaza Road and encountering this Ethiopian eunuch. and We don't quite know what happens in his life. Images of a highway that will connect the people of God as God is now connecting the world together because the good news 
is for all. But will they recognize God when the encounter comes their way? Will we recognize God when the encounter comes our way? He's a pastor now, but he tells the story about being a teenager in high school. And he and his friend on a Friday night when his parents thought they were at a restaurant. In fact, they were in another part of the county where they weren't supposed to be at all. And it wasn't a heavily populated part of the county. It was out in the country and they were doing things they knew they were not supposed to do. And it was going great until they had a flat tire. And then they discovered that the spare tire was flat. I'm seeing people leaning over. I'm seeing a child leaning over to mom. Was it you or mom? Oh, your dad, yeah, yeah. And he knew he had only one option. Now I have to call dad and get dad out of bed. Dad has to come out to the country. His words, we did not have fun. He took my keys away. He took away my privileges. But then surprisingly, he took my fear away by saying, I'm upset with you, but I understand. I remember what it's like to be a teenager. And he was shocked. My father, a teenager? <laughs> God, understanding. It is the power of Advent, you know, that there's never a time, there's never a time that you will respond to God, that God will say, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. But a voice was saying, shout. And someone said, well, what, what should I shout? All flesh is grass. All its commitment is like the flowers of the field. The grass dries up and the flower withers when the, Lord blows, when the Lord's breath blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass dries up. The flower withers. But our God's word exists forever. The commissioning of a voice, a new voice, a different voice. Not sure who the speaker is, not sure who is being addressed, but someone is commissioned to proclaim, someone is commissioned to preach, someone is commissioned to shout. I don't shout a lot when I preach. I'm not that angry at you. I grew up with a lot of shouting preachers. I haven't yet discovered why they were so angry at us. I don't think this is a shout of anger, but urgency and in enthusiasm. This time the verb is singular. It's, it's one person, one shouter, one preacher. Maybe it is the prophet. Maybe it's someone new. Maybe we're supposed to understand this as it's not so much Isaiah, it's, it's now you. It's now me. What am I to say? But I do like the tenderness of the image. Shout at them, but Lord, they've been through so much. The, the people are like grass. It's been hard. It's been a hard, long, dry season. I don't think they can take much more. They are broken and they are weak 
and they are fragile. But the shouter has forgotten that when God announces intentions, things happen. And we have forgotten. And God announces in such surprising ways. Shepherds. Why tell it to shepherds? They're not important, and they certainly do not have important friends. And angels appear to shepherds. Because that's who God is. And Simeon and Anna waiting, waiting, waiting. That's who God is. So here's the message. I go up on a high mountain, messenger Zion. Messenger Jerusalem, raise your voice and shout. Shout it, don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here's your God. Here's the Lord God coming with strength, with a mighty arm, bringing his reward with him and his reward before him. Like a shepherd, God will care for the flock. He will gather lambs in his arms and lift them onto his lap. He will gently guide the nursing young ones. What an incredible image. And, and the first one we love, the first one we go to, it, it, it's the warrior God who is strong and accomplishes. And, but isn't it the second one that we need too? Tender, caring, healing and loving. This last week I, I listened to an interview. His name is John Hunter. He started teaching 30 years ago. And 30 years ago he decided he needed to do something new. He needed to do something creative to help students understand and think about the major issues of the world. So he invented what he called the World Peace Games. And so he divided his students into different nationalities and countries. And he assigned to them issues, economic, health, global crises, natural disasters, political conflict, and then together they had to collaborate and figure it out. The most impressive part of all of this is that his students are all fourth graders. And so the interview is between John Hunter and one of his former students 10 years later, now Irene Newman, 20 years old. And here's how the interview went. I'm Irene Newman. I played the World Peace Games 10 years ago, and now I'm studying peace, war, and defense at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. In the third grade, I thought I was going to be president of the United States. And John Hunter, I remember you too. I remember the pigtails, the brownie uniform, the glasses. You were an intellectual, a third grade intellectual. Irene, I had decided that we were going to win the peace game and the way we were going to work was that I was going to take over everything. And I started on that path and quickly ran into a lot of problems. I really began to understand as we were playing the game, we found peace more through cooperation with one another. And I actually found the other day on my 13th birthday, you sent me two pages of advice. I found it, and I just wanted to give it to you and see if there was any particular points of advice, anything you wanted to say about. And John Hunter laughs. Oh, you caught me, Irene, because I always claim to never give advice. Rule number 22, 
Most problems are actually pretty simple to solve. We superimpose so much on them that they become so complex. Irene. Well, actually, as we've been talking about the World Peace Games, it does make you think that if a bunch of third and fourth graders can look at problems and find a solution that sometimes world problems are more simple than we think. John Hunter. If we just let fourth graders and third graders handle things, Irene, our world could be in a very different situation than it is now. (laughs) Hunter. Sometimes I wonder. I'm almost afraid adults are playing the real world peace game and we're not doing so well at it. But third graders and fourth graders routinely fix everything and make everything work out okay. If just one of them gets through 10 years, 15 years later, they may save us all. And so I'm hoping that you may be in a position to do so. And Irene just responds, we'll see. Advent gives us a chance to see more clearly. The Christ child, all grown up in a war-torn, enemy-occupied world, said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. It has to start with someone, you know. It has to start with someone who really believes Jesus meant what he said. It has to start with someone who's willing to take a Jesus kind of risk. It has to start with someone who's willing to lean into that kind of Advent vision and see what it would look like in their family or where they work or where they go to school or where they go to church or with their friends. And then it just kind of grows from there. And and I was thinking this week, do we really believe it enough to give it a chance? We've lit the candle. What would happen if the majority of Christians decided this week, this week, instead of creating conflict, I'm going to work for peace. Instead of creating hatred and distrust, I'm going to be a peacemaker. When I read that email, I'm going to respond as a peacemaker. When I read that post, I'm going to respond as a peacemaker. When I walk into that conversation, I'm going to respond as a peacemaker. When that comes up in my home again, I'm going to respond as a peacemaker. When that comes up with my friends, I'm going to... What would happen if we really did that? I want to try to do it this week. Why don't you join me? Let's pray. Lord, we live in a world that seems to value hate over love and conflict over peace. We live in a world that 
looks down on and makes fun of and seems to distrust the people who are trying to make peace. And so we want your vision for our community, your vision for our families, your vision for our workplaces and our schools, and your vision for our nation. So will you open our eyes and give us the courage to do it your way? In Christ's name, amen. And John the Baptist stands there before the crowd and opens up and says, repent. And it's not about an emotional response. That's not what the word means. It's, it's about stopping and turning around instead of doing it my way, doing it a different way, doing it God's way. And so we give you an opportunity this morning. If there's something about the song you've heard, the message of Advent, a scripture that we've read, uh, how God's Spirit has been moving you and working with you, we would like to pray with you and talk to you and give you that chance to invite Christ into your life and to become the disciple you've heard about. And then let's explore together God's plan and intentions for your life. Will you stand as we continue our worship? Thank you.